Uh, John chapter 17, verse 5. Who wants to look at that one? I will. All right. I think I was supposed to go a little further. Sean, that one cut off on me. It's going away. Sorry. Uh, John 3 and 13. All right, and then Acts 20 and 28. All right, John 6, 62. All right. And finally, we're going to probably get to Philippians 2, 7. Philippians 2 7. If you don't, somebody don't get it, we'll turn over there. I've got some more later, too. All right, let's read this section 7. I think we've read it already together. But it says, In his work of mediation, Christ acts according to both natures, by each nature doing what is appropriate to itself. Even so, because of the unity of the person, that which is appropriate to one nature is sometimes in Scripture attributed to the person under the designation of the other nature. <laughs> that sounds, can be kind of confusing. Zarina, like, what in the world is this talking about? But we kind of hit this earlier in this chapter. Y'all started out talking about something called the hypostatic union. I don't know if you remember that, hypostatic, hypostatic union. Basically, just the, the truth that when Jesus became a man, there's now two distinct natures in one person, Jesus, right? The divine and the human. So in the Trinity, we have three persons and one God. In the hypostatic union, we have two distinct natures in one person, and it's Jesus. So what we're talking about here in Section 7 is something in church history that's been known as the communication of properties. Now, there's a Latin word that, Latin, the Latin words that has been um, made well known in church history, but I'm just going to tell you what it means. Communication of properties. So what this says basically is, let me just read you this, this quote from somebody way smarter than me, Lois Burkhoff. We see in the Bible that the attributes of both natures, the divine nature and the human nature of God, ascribed to the one person of Christ. In other words, the attributes of both divinity and humanity are both ascribed to one person, Jesus. Therefore, uh, the communication of properties means that the properties of both the human and the divine natures are now the properties of the person and are therefore ascribed to the person. That might not have even cleared it up, but it's basically saying... In the Bible, when the Bible writers say Jesus ascended on high, you know, we've talked about that. Jesus ascended back to the Father. Well, they don't have to say, now we're talking about the God, the human side of Jesus now, right? Or when they say, um, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And, and then we read in Hebrews that everything that was made was made for Him and by Him. There's nothing made that... Uh, not made that was made 
Nothing was made that was not made by, by him and for him. He is the creator, right? They don't, the Bible writers don't say, now I'm talking about Jesus, the God Jesus, right? They just say, I'm talking about Jesus because they recognize that he has two distinct natures but in one person. So they can communicate these properties without having to make that distinction. And that's what some of these verses will say. And, and this all seems, maybe to you, you're saying, well, yeah. But there's been a lot of confusion about it throughout church history. And not only confusion, there's been a lot of heresy, which means false teaching that has come as a result of people refusing to acknowledge this. This is one of those things that, again, you can't open up to a certain page in the Bible and find, oh, now, now show me where the hypostatic union is in the communication of properties. Because, you know, that's not going to be in the glossary or in the uh, back of your Bible where you can flip to the page. and find. But what has happened, especially mostly what happened throughout church history, in order for the church to guard against wrong teaching, they have to go outside the Bible to find language to bring back in um, to define doctrines. I mean, that's what this is, right? This is not the Bible, but anytime we say, for example, well, how is Jesus God and man? Well, this is how. Because you can go to the Bible and we can show, I can show you where, see, here he's God and here he's man, here he's God man. But to define it, you have to be able to use language, and that's what this is. This communication of properties is this idea that the Bible writers recognized Christ the God-man, and they didn't have to differentiate by saying which at, which nature was acting. They just say Jesus. You know when when uh, whether he was um, how was that? I kept reading it. Put Mary. Um, it was Mary's son who was the creator, and it was the Son of God who bled. But all that is true. But God didn't die. Okay, and um, God didn't bleed. Jesus, the man, bled. And Jesus, the man, didn't create heavens and earth. Jesus, the God, Jesus, God did. But the writers just say Jesus did, right? Does that make sense? So that's what this is all about: the communication of properties. So look at these verses in. Uh, um. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about it. Who's got John 17, 5? I do. Okay. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. You see, I mean, Jesus the man, human flesh, has not always existed. He was born of Mary. But Jesus has always existed, right? So it's, it's not incorrect to say either one of those. John 3.13. And no one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, even the Son of Man. All right, there you go. So he did come down to earth, but it was Jesus, the God, who came to earth, but then took on flesh, became a man. Uh, Acts 20 and 28. I think I might have alluded to that one already. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, be shepherds of the Okay, see there, 
I mean, they, they don't hesitate saying God purchased the church with his own blood. But we know that God doesn't have blood, right? I mean, God is not like man. He's um, spirit. But yet, Jesus, the God-man, did shed his blood. Uh, John 6.62. What then, uh, if you should behold the Son of Man uh, ascending uh, where he was before? Okay, so there it is again. I mean, I don't want to just keep uh, acting like you don't get it, but th- I mean that that's the whole point of this, is that it's important to recognize that the Bible does this, and it does it often, because by the time these guys wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they understood this. And um, I think the reason I, I didn't, I don't think we, anybody volunteered to read Philippians 2 7. But this is one of the, you got it? Okay. Okay. And I should have, I'm sorry, I should have got you to read a little bit before that. But this is a passage that's very famous or popular in church history as well. Because if you don't understand this communication of properties, this is one of those places where uh, you read um, that Jesus, who was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but... Um, emptied himself, or as Rich's version says, made himself of no reputation. But the word means, it's a Greek word that means to empty himself. It's a a word, kenosis, which, so this is known as the kenosis passage. And a lot of people have taken that. If you don't get this communication of properties, you'll say, oh, well, Jesus quit being God. No, he didn't quit being God. It's just as the human side of Christ these are the things that he did taking on the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men he didn't quit being God he didn't lay aside Godness he didn't have to so it's a divine mystery that's hard for again one of those things for us hard, hard for us to wrap our brains around but you say well then who died on the cross Jesus did well who rose again Jesus did you know, who ascended back to heaven I mean a human can't do that well, Jesus did. We don't have to separate those things out, but we recognize that the two divine natures, um, they both, the one Jesus exhibits attributes of divinity and at the same time attributes of humanity. And as I said, the reason it's such a big deal is because throughout church history, people have denied this, and people are still denying it. As early as the third century, it was being denied. And that one, that one heresy known as Arianism, because it was from Arius, is still alive and well today. It's called Jehovah's Witnesses now. And they believe the same thing. They believe that Jesus became God, or God came upon him at certain times. The Mormon church believes the same thing. There was a time when Jesus didn't exist, and he was born. He was made. He was created. And there's all kinds of ways, you know, sometimes these doctrines, you know, you can get into the minutia of them, and sometimes you think, I mean, really, do we need to know that? Well, I mean, 
again, for 2,000 years, the church has battled with these things because they matter. I mean, John said, if you don't believe that Jesus is coming in the flesh, then you're an idol worshiper. You're a non-believer. You have to believe he came in the flesh. When saying that, John's saying we know he's God, but you also got to believe he became flesh. You can't take one or the other. And so hum- humanity, what humanity does is they say, we have a tendency to say, that's too much for me to grasp. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to make up something that I believe God created Jesus. I mean, you have to deny a lot of scripture, right? I mean, the stuff that we some of y'all just read clearly said, I mean, Jesus said, restore me to the glory I had before with you. And, I mean, of course, we, we know that Jesus was at creation. I mean, he, he is the creator. So we don't, be, we don't believe there was a time ever when Jesus didn't exist. But we do recognize there was a time when Jesus became man. But he was still God. He was still the son of God before that, right? And I know that's, you know, again, I know it's a, it's a divine mystery, but it's, it's divine truth. And we can't deny it. Because then you get to a place where I have to believe there's some point at which Jesus came into existence. And I don't know all the, um, all the finer points of uh, Arianism or Mormonism, but I do know they believe there was a time when Jesus wasn't, and then he became. And one of them even believes, I think, that maybe the, divine, the divineness or divinity, especially the logos, that reasoning of God, came upon Jesus at at the cross right before and then left him I, I can't remember all the fine details but um, it is important so because again uh, we didn't read this but First Timothy 2 5 says there's only one mediator between God and man and it's the man Jesus Christ and there is no other so it's got to be the one that the Bible describes so um, and we're going to go when we get to this next section we'll talk about that same thing, I believe one of the reasons we struggle so much with divine election and predestination in the order of salvation is again because our minds just can't grasp all of it. So what we do in, in response is we, we adapt, adopt something we can understand. Sort of like, well, if I was God, I would do it this way. And so we come up with these other doctrines because we don't understand. And I don't understand it. I just know the Bible teaches it. And so... I don't have to understand it to teach it and know that it's true and it's truly happening that way. Um, I don't have to fully understand it. What's been revealed has been revealed for our understanding. So um, we should try to understand it. Any thought about this or questions or anybody want to shed some light on it? Help the rest of us understand it better. Have you ever thought about it? I was just going to offer up that you know, as you was talking about, it's easy for us to focus on either Jesus as man or Jesus as God. But it's also on the flip side of that, it's important that we remember that you can't divide them. That yes. they, are, they are eternally combined now yes. to where they don't separate. It's not like he can turn one on and turn one off. Right. He is he is forever united. Those two natures are united in him, yeah. and, um, and and he will forever be the God man. Yes, uh, yeah, so. absolutely. In the event that uh, I think it's a passage where it says that uh, uh, that he uh, is uh, 
Yeah. Which is another good point because we're told in the Bible God cannot be tempted with sin. But Jesus was tempted with sin. So that's another good uh, point at which to think about that. God wasn't tempted by Satan in the wilderness, but Jesus was. But again, they didn't have to say, and make sure you understand what I'm talking about with Jesus, the, the man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what was I asking? Oh, have, have you ever thought about this before? Just and really, sometimes these things you don't, you don't think about until it's brought up, and you're like, oh. I, I used to think that Jesus was at some point created by God until like later I learned that like, well, no, that's that's not the Trinity. It's always been the Triune God, right? Eternally. And I watched a program recently that had Mormons as characters, not very good view of Mormons, but um, but it caused me to kind of even consider their theology and how they sit there and they call themselves Christians, but their view is that that Jesus was made and so Satan was made and they were brothers, yeah. which is then a violation of the Trinity, which goes back to the Nicene Creed in 300. Like, right. So off from the get-go, Mormons cannot be Christians because they deny the Trinity. Right. And the fact that it's the eternal... Yeah, that's a good point. Well, I think the truth is all of us, I know because I hear it when, I, when I've been in here teaching kids on Wednesday nights, the new, few new kids that are coming that have never had any church background really especially. I mean, well, Jesus couldn't have been till now because he was born. That's when he started, you know. And that, for, I mean, that makes perfect sense because that's the only thing we know. I mean, when did when did I start? When I was born. I mean, you know, when I know we could say when I was conceived, all that. But you know, what I'm saying for so I think a lot of us did think because that's what you know we weren't taught a lot of. You weren't taught a lot of this kind of stuff growing up. I mean, it was kind of we knew there was Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but I think most of us, a lot of us, probably did think for a long time that well, you know Jesus came along from Mary, and um, but. You know, once you start putting all this together, then you realize, especially when we start talking about redemption or justification, well, the only way we could be fixed um, was for some somebody from, there had to be a divine response to our problem. Because there was never going to be a, there was never going to be a son of Adam to fix what we needed fixed. So it had to be the son of God, who also was made in the likeness of, of sinful flesh and so it's such an awesome thing to think about but then it starts making sense a little bit more sense when you see the whole picture so I have a friend who's a blood of the witness and and their their entire and of course what he grew up with was that Jesus is not Jesus was created he was the firstborn therefore that and that is the real thrust of what they teach everything it is based on the fact that Christ was created. Yeah. They build everything off of that. Obviously, though, the, the firstborn means. Oh, yeah. The, uh, yeah. You know, we know what it means, but yeah, that, that's, mean, that's what they stand on. The order sure. of, uh, of uh, creation. All right.
Yep. And you see, I mean, like what Sean alluded to is, there's and there's other problems too. If he was, if there was a time when he wasn't, if he was created also, um, then we got a lot of issues. We got a lot of problems. If there was a time when Christ was not, um, so that's kind of the uh, that's kind of section seven, and and. It's a It's really a little, a little paragraph, one sentence, that really has a a, a vast history uh, in the church. I mean, there's a lot done with this idea. But I think you'll see too that at the time the confession was written, there was a lot of other theological controversies they were more concerned with than this one, which I think is obvious why. Some sections are longer than others. Now, I do think it's obvious that's why chapter 8 is one of the longest sections in here because who Christ is and what he's done is obviously pretty much the most important thing we can spend time talking about because, and especially when the, when the confession was written, um, you know, there was a lot uh, going on and these men wanted to make sure that they separated themselves from, from the Roman Catholic Church and their doctrine of justification. They wanted to make sure that, hey, this is who we are, you know. And of course they were also trying to separate themselves from the Presbyterians too. Say, this is who we are, but we're not them, you know. And um which is okay. I think that's a good thing. We're st- we still do that, you know. Any more questions about that? Or comment? <coughs> We'll really get into this next section more next week, but I do want to, I do want to read through it and at least get started and look at a couple of these passages. Um, you know, and this this all this flows together so well um, because we've talked about everything that Christ has done to obtain salvation, obtain justification for us um, in our place, and then. Um, it gets to the section to all those for whom Christ has obtained eternal redemption. He certainly and effectually applies and imparts it. So right there in the very first um, verse, you see this starts to, I mean, it's hard to read that and not have some questions unless you already believe it. Because it's pretty clear. Who to all those whom, for whom Christ has obtained eternal redemption, he certainly and effectually applies and imparts it. So we understand right off the bat there, there is a those. And it's not everybody, but it's to all those for whom Christ has obtained eternal redemption. Those ones he's obtained it for, he most certainly and effectually applies and imparts it. So there's a lot of hope in that first sentence because if Christ died for you, there'll be no doubt that you're going to get the benefits of his death for you. And see, I think sometimes, you know, I know sometimes maybe we harp on this a lot, but I don't want to just be a, you know, sort of a one-horse wagon where every day I get up and talk, I'm going to talk about you know, um, Calvinism, basically. But to me, it's just so much deeper and bigger and broader than that. 
I mean, there's so much hope in this fact. If Christ died for me, I, I will be saved. He will impart it to me and he will imply it to me. There's no doubt that that'll ever happen. And this, um, this gives hope for a lot of reasons. It gives hope to preachers and missionaries who feel like I haven't done enough, I haven't said enough, I haven't been in enough places. Well, maybe you haven't, but you know what? If God's people are anywhere on this planet, he will get to them and he will save them. Now, that doesn't give us a reason to be lazy. It doesn't give us a reason to uh, do what many people claim that people like us do and say, ah, don't worry about it. Got to get somebody over there. No, it's a, it's a great and wonderful hope that we do all we can, but somehow, some way, God is getting the gospel to where it needs to go and his people are hearing it. <coughs> I'm sorry, and getting saved, being saved by him. I don't like to say getting saved. I just said it. That's almost like it's something we do. People are being saved by God. Um, and I just think that's a, just in that one sentence right there, and we'll look at some of these verses, but um, there's a lot of excitement and hope for that. I mean, um, this is what I tell people, and I mean, I've told people here this, that are worried about children or wayward um, family members. Hey, and if you got a chance, tell them. If I can tell them, I'll tell them. But be assured that if they're, if they're going to get God, they will be God. There's no place on earth they can hide. God will find them, and they'll, they'll, he'll come get his people. And I just think that's such, a, that's such a better hope than, hey, if you don't get out there and do what you're supposed to do, people are going to go to hell. I mean, to, to me, that's a, that's a fear tactic and a motivation that just causes you a bunch of, one, it causes you anxiety and no peace. But if you look at it from this standpoint, hey, go preach the gospel when you can because God's got people out there, and if his people hear the gospel, they're going to get saved. I said it again. They're going to be saved by God. They will be saved by God. I mean, to me, that's a, you know, when, when I started understanding all this, um, man, it just, uh, there's like, I feel like a Christian in, um, in, um, the Pilgrim's Progress. I feel like there was just a, there was this thing that just I unloosed and dropped it off. I'm like, man. And now I can preach, and it's not up to me whether pe- it's not how good I do or how bad you know. Uh, man, I messed up today. So people are gonna go to hell because I messed up. No, I mean, God is doing His business now. He has called us to preach the gospel and be faithful, and I should prepare and, and want to do that well and the best of my ability. And when I get a chance, I should tell people. That I meet this gospel, but my hope is in a God who sent His Son, become flesh, and lived out perfect righteousness, and no sin, and the things we were talking about a while ago. He's God Man. The God Man is going to be able to do way better than just this man. So, uh, and I hope that encourages you too, because if you've ever tried to share the the gospel with anybody or just tried to be, you know you feel you almost always feel like a failure and, and there's probably there's probably something satanic in that there's probably a spiritual warfare side of uh the accuser of the brethren saying you're so bad at that you know i can't believe you even tried that you know you're embarrassed about that that was pitiful somebody could have done better whatever you feel they're probably a spiritual that's probably a spiritual fiery dart that um I understand because I've been there and I've done it and I've lived it. 
and and I still battle with that because I was that was so I was so entrenched in that. But the further we get along in this, I hope that we are able to keep seeing the glorious. I I, I don't everyone. I wouldn't go back to that idea of, hey, we're just going to do the best we can, and uh, then it's up to you know, or or for me to say to somebody, hey, I've told you the truth. It's up to you now. You can either decide or not. But I I read this man. If Christ died for you, uh, and I I wouldn't tell somebody that didn't know Christ this. But I know, I just shared the gospel with them. If Christ died for them, he will apply and impart it to them. They will get it. Their eyes will be open. The scales will fall off. Uh, their heart will be open. All things that the Bible, the ways the Bible describes people coming to Christ. And it might be now. It might be 10 years from now. But it'll happen. And man, I just, uh, I like that view of the gospel a lot better. I just think there's a lot more hope in it. And, and a lot more peace, um, knowing that we can't mess it up. And, and, you know, it's kind of the way the Christian life is. You can't mess it up. Just live it. And we don't, and we fail, and we go back, and we ask God to forgive us and help us. But I think that's kind of what the Bible tells us over and over. I mean, all through, when we did that study through Ephesians, you see what Paul was saying. Hey, you're children of the light, not darkness. So live like the light. And in Galatians, he'll say, why would you want to go back and live as though you're still in bondage? You're not. And I think that's the, that's the Christian call, back over and over. Hey, hey, you're children of the light. Stop living like you're in darkness. You're not darkness anymore. And it's not a hammer over your head. It's, hey, hey, hey. I mean, with all that Christ has done for you, get up and go live that way. Why do you want to go back and live like you're in chains and darkness and like those people on that... Uh, award show last week whatever that was about dressing up and worshiping the devil or whatever that craziness was y'all see that what, what, what was that show the, name, the, the Grammy, Grammy Award the name of the song is unholy yeah the name of the song is unholy I mean that's uh, you know that's just kind of a, a frightening but you know that goes on a lot more than we realize probably no, it, not on TV it, uh, there is Absolutely. And so what happens is that uh, he provides both the means and uh, the uh, fulfillment of it. Absolutely. And so what happens is that, uh, uh, you know, I don't see praying for my two daughters. Absolutely, yes. sound discouraging toward that because the means is the preaching how can I hear without a preacher um, and um, he you're absolutely right he he blesses the means as much as uh, the message and so we have to preach the gospel that's right absolutely but in saying that and I won't put you on the spot because uh, I wouldn't be fair but 
all of us in general, if you, when you do have family members or people you know, you know what what do you pray for them? Or and I and I think I know your I know I would know your answer. You're not praying, Lord. I just hope you help them to. You know, I just I hope they can make a good decision. I mean, we pray that, Lord, so, you overcome I, their. I pray yeah. Absolutely. And it, but then what you've got is uh, you've got the uh, you've got to understand that uh, the Lord has already put down here that uh, uh, in Hebrews uh, six, uh, what you've got is it says that those people that have uh, been exposed to the word and have turned away, it's almost impossible to uh, uh, to bring them back to repentance. Uh, and so the situation is that uh, I know that, that I'm fighting the war, but basically I can't quit fighting. Yeah, yeah, but I, but our hopes, you know, our hope is that if Jesus died for them, it will. I mean, they will oh, overcome. It will definitely overcome. And even the uh, even the difficult ones, you know. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Because you don't. Um, That's the reason I don't stop. Right. In the. Uh, yeah, and I don't blame you. I mean, I, I can't say I would do any differently if it were me either. Yeah. And um, But I, what, my point, what I was trying to say is I'm, I hear so many people that want to talk about, well, this is all about a decision that we make. Yeah. I'm like, well, if we pray for somebody that you know is not saved, do you just pray that, what do you ask God to do? You, obvi- you honestly, I mean, you obviously believe that God has to do something or you wouldn't be praying. And so, um, and I just think it's it's a maturity thing. The more we recognize, okay, God, just I mean, open our eyes, give them ears to hear, yeah. And uh, I mean, you know, do 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 whatever you have to do, like you did with Paul. I mean, whatever it takes to, I mean, you know, to bring them to yourself, because uh, this is John six thirty seven. And I, I I know I quote this a lot. Um, this is Jesus saying. Um, well, I'm just going to back up in, in verse 35. He says, I am the bread of life. Since we're about to start, we're going to be talking about the Lord's Supper. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And of course, he's talking about way more than eating a piece of bread and drinking water. But I said to you that you have not seen me, that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. But all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. And he says, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. And this is the will of the one who sent me, that I should lose nothing that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of the Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up the last day. I just, I mean, it's just more of that same stuff, man. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And again, I believe, who are the ones the Father gives to him, the ones he died for. I mean, he he laid down his life for his sheep. He said, 
and I had all those verses. We'll we'll keep going uh, next week, and we'll pick up right here and go through the rest of this section um, and look at some more of the. I mean, all of John chapter six, John chapter ten. Um, we'll look at some other places too. Any other comments or questions?